Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of menshelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to an exciting episode of Men Talk Podcast, where men talk about miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, and infertility. Today's guest is Randy Jackson, hailing from Idaho. Randy, the floor is yours. Feel free to introduce yourself and uh, share your story. And we'll go from there. All right. Good morning and or good evening. Or I uh, just want to say thank you for having me on uh, today. And uh, um, so I'm, I'm from Nampa, Idaho. Uh, grew up in Idaho. I was actually born and raised in Idaho. Um, and uh, I, I think it's the greatest state in the, in the union. Um, you know, as far as, uh, my, my story, well, let me tell you something. Uh, it's not, a, it's definitely not a, 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 something you want to be a club you don't want to be a part of. That's for sure. Um, so I think uh, if it's all right, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about kind of not only what we went through, but also kind of the emotional stuff that I went through myself. Uh, but to, but to, to touch on that, I want to start actually before we had our miscarriage, if that's all right. Sure. Um, so my wife and I, we used to be very involved in, in pro-life activism. Um, we did a lot of, uh, protests and different things to, you know, help the, the pro-life movements because we're very anti-abortion. Um, you know, God-fearing Christians, uh, and, and just really, you know, very centered in our faith. Um, really believed actually for a long time, we believed that our, ministry that we were going to be in for the rest of our life was going to be pro-life ministry. Um, I remember in uh, 2000, I think it's 2006, there was a movement started in the United States called 40 Days for Life. It started down in Texas and it was basically, you know, people organizing uh, as close to a 24-hour-a-day prayer uh, event at abortion clinics, Um, not protesting, just prayer. And, uh, um, so when we saw this going on, we we're like, Oh, you know what? We want to, we want to bring this to Idaho. So for three years, we, we did, we did that. We put it together. And for three, the first three years of 40 days for life in Idaho, my wife and I ran that, put it together and got all the people going out there in 2008, about the third year, uh, we found ourselves pregnant with our third child. Um, we had two, uh, healthy, healthy children, uh, uh, my son Elijah and my daughter Esther and uh the third pregnancy came as a surprise and uh you know I was a little scared I'm not gonna lie uh because I was like uh am I gonna need to find a new job I need to get a new car you know all this kind of questions right and uh um, um we were going through uh the third year of 40 days for life and uh um, I think we were about halfway through that particular project uh, um, when we, uh, and I'll never forget it. Uh, we went in for on a Monday afternoon for, uh, just a regular checkup, you know, just a regular scheduled checkup to, you know, check on baby, you know, uh, hear the heartbeat, see the ultrasound. And he would have been about, uh, uh, 12 weeks at this time. And, uh, um, it was, it was kind of one of those really surreal things when, uh, the nurses, you know, trying to find the heartbeat and says, uh, I can't find the heartbeat. And it's like, okay, well, well, what, what does that mean? 
you know, and I'm not, I'm not sure what, what that means, you know? And she says, well, I need to go get the doctor. Okay. So the doctor comes in, she, you know, does the ultrasound and she goes, well, I can't find the heartbeat. I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, I don't understand what, 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 what you're trying to tell me here. And, uh, um, and she said, well, it means that the baby has, has, uh, most likely died. And she said it very matter of fact. Um, and, and I understand now, I didn't understand then at the time, because you're, when you're in the, the, the raw emotion of the moment and the shock of what's going on, you don't understand why the doctor is not as broken up and just like devastated as you are. Um, but at the time I was, I was like, how can you say, you know, my first reaction is, how can you say that's a matter of fact? It was almost like you didn't believe it because of how, uh, matter of fact she said it. Um, and she just said, you know, no, it, the, the, the baby has died in the womb. And, uh, um, and so you need to determine what you're going to do. Either you're going to, uh, you need to, you're either going to need to decide to have a DNC or deliver the baby naturally, um, which could happen in anywhere from, you know, a, a few days to a few weeks. And then, uh, um, of course, my wife and I were both just like devastated. We didn't know what to think. We didn't know how to feel. Um, and, uh, um, so we went home and, uh, uh, got really, you know, to thinking and my wife started doing some research and found out that, oh, you know what? There's, uh, there's actually a lot of missed miscarriages. Uh, basically what she was finding out is that sometimes misdiagnosed miscarriages, like may, you know, they, so they couldn't find the heartbeat. That doesn't mean that, that the baby has died. It just maybe means that they just didn't get it quite right. And so, uh, um, so we started praying and we started having our friends pray with us, you know, because, uh, um, and you're just really believing for a miracle. And, uh, um, you know, and I think especially, honestly, there was maybe a bit of self-righteousness involved with it. I'm not going to lie about that because, you know, here we were, we're faithful to, you know, praying for other people's babies that, that weren't wanted. And, you know, we'd even seen some pretty cool stuff, some pretty, you know, miraculous things happen uh, through that and baby saved even. And so, of course, you know, if we're doing this, then, of course, our baby's going to be saved, right? You know, <laughs> so uh, um, so that's what we is what we expected. And that's not what happened. Um, and so um, about two weeks later, we were uh, surprised, I guess you could say, um, when in the middle of the night, my wife went into labor um, and and gave birth to our son. And uh, um, his name is Isaiah. Um, we have E names for all of our kids. <laughs> so, um, and I got to tell you, it was, there was a lot of emotions in that. First of all, um, obviously heartbreak because things didn't turn out the way that we wanted or expected. Um, also, uh, just, a uh, there was a beautiful, piece to it as well and i don't know how to describe that except for uh um our son uh isaias he was he was born uh whole I, I don't know how else to say it um uh but so we held him and he was this little tiny you know fit in the palm of your hand and it it's like he was perfectly formed it looked like he was sleeping um his his little mouth was open. I mean, everything was there. It just was like the most 
pictures only do so much. And sometimes you wonder, well, how realistic is the picture? But when you hold the baby in your hand, it's just completely different. And pictures don't justify how perfect they look and how beautiful they are. Um, and so it was a lot of emotion, you know. And uh, so, you know, of course, and we're, we're holding my son and we're like, okay, well, now what do we do? So we go, okay, well, we go, we drive into the doctor. And, uh, um, and we get to the doctor and, and we're like, okay, we don't know what to do. Um, we gave birth to my son and we had him in a little box and, uh, we were like, I don't know what to do with him. And the doctor said, well, what I need you to do is I need you to go back home because you're upset and I have a live birth that's about to come in and I can't have you here while the, the, the family with a live birth is coming in. And that was also devastating. Again, I understand a little bit better now why doctors are so stoic, but that really hurt a lot. You know what I mean? And, uh, um, was, was very, was very difficult. And so my wife says, well, but I don't know. I still don't know what I'm supposed to do with my baby. And she said, well, um, if you feel like you need to do something, then put the, put the baby in a shoebox and bury him in your backyard. And my wife was just like, that was devastating because she's like, but we're not talking about a puppy. This is my baby. What am I supposed to do? And she ended up chewing us out. So we went home, not really sure what to do. And, uh, um, you know, and, and to this point, we'll also add to this point, we didn't know anybody who had had a miscarriage or so we thought. Um, nobody had ever talked to us about miscarriage before. Uh, we, we knew nothing about it except for what little bit the doctor had told us. And we knew nobody that had been through it. Um, but at this point, then uh, what ended up happening is uh, we had all sorts of friends who had been through miscarriage and we just didn't know it because nobody ever talked about it. And uh, um, so we had a lot of people coming out and telling us, you know, giving it, trying to give us comfort and saying, you know, we're, we're sorry about uh, your loss. You know, I've been there too. Um, and them telling us their horror stories. And it uh, seems like a lot of people have horror stories about this. Um, and then just starting to really slowly process that just how real this is and how often it happens. One in four pregnancies ends in miscarriage, but we didn't know that before. We thought it was a very rare thing. Um, but we didn't really, we didn't really do a lot with it yet. As far as, you know, um, you know, just processing, trying to process through. And one of the big things that, that, uh, that we really had to deal with, and especially me, uh, that I really dealt a lot with was anger. Um, I was so, I was really mad at God. Um, I didn't understand why he didn't answer my prayer. And I, I almost again took like almost a self-righteous attitude, like, uh, how is it, God, that you would answer my prayers about babies who aren't wanted, but for my child that I want? Where was my prayer answered? And so uh, um, for about a year and a half, two years, I took almost a very deist approach uh, to my to my thinking because it was the only way I could cope. It was the only way I could deal with the, the idea that, that my prayer wasn't answered. Well, if my prayer wasn't answered, then it must be because of a, of 
that that uh, deism is more of a realistic view of God that he's just out there and he's not really getting involved and he's just kind of watching and uh, um <clears throat> of course I, I i i think that that's very bad theology but that was kind of where i was at the time um because i didn't know how else to cope with it um and it's and especially you know sometimes in churches we get this idea that uh you know you can't be mad at god um if you're mad at god don't talk about it um you know we we think that uh you know it's like a really big taboo subject to to discuss that um and i i will i will preface and say this and we can talk about it uh, in a little bit or a little bit later that i actually think that that's actually a very uh, not a very helpful uh approach to anger i think that god is a, a big god and he made us in his image and part of that image is emotions and part of those emotions are anger so um uh but so anyway so fast forward to a year and a half almost two years later we find ourselves pregnant with our rainbow baby um and we were excited about that um only to find out uh that at seven weeks we miscarried our rainbow baby um and that was also very difficult um and uh, um his name was Eliezer um we don't really know for certain it was a boy but we we feel in our heart it was a boy um and so we named him Eliezer um again sticking with the e names <laughs> but uh um <clears throat> and it was really interesting because of the fact that that it was through through that that we started kind of feeling a little more, um, a little more healing, a little more. It's interesting that, that, uh, even though that that pregnancy also ended in the loss, that it was almost started to bring me back around to where I needed to be in my faith. I don't know how to explain it. I really don't. Um, it was around that time we started also thinking about, okay, and we've been doing some studying in the past year and talking about, well, how can we help other people? through this process i'm not really even sure why we started talking about helping other people but we did um <clears throat> and so through the process we ended up uh and and deciding okay well let's uh let's help other people with this too so um we ended up having what we called a naming service we had uh, a bunch basically a bunch of people who had been through loss uh, come together and we did like basically a service where we talked about the beauty of life and the beauty of our children that were lost and and we named our our babies and uh, had like a balloon release ceremony um and everything and and uh, it was a really beautiful service and uh, and I think that it was really kind of the beginning of what we ended up starting uh an organization we ended up starting uh, called David's Hope and uh, um, the whole point and purpose of the organization is just to try and provide resources and help to people uh, uh, who, who've been through uh, pregnancy loss and, and early infant loss. Um, and uh, I'll, uh, um, I, I, I do want to say this, if, if this is all right, um, uh, I'll, I'll kind of jump ahead a little bit because I, I just mentioned a little bit ago that I think that having this idea that we can't talk about being angry at God is a, is a bad view, a bad the, theology view. And, and I think, and the reason why I say that is that I kind of take it from John chapter 11. And uh, um, by the way, my favorite Bible verse is uh, um, John eleven thirty five, uh, two simple words, Jesus wept. 
And I know it's kind of funny because uh, that's the verse that, you know, everybody says, hey, Sunday school teacher says, go go memorize a Bible verse. And you come back like, oh, I memorized one. Jesus wept. I did so good. <laughs> and uh, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of a funny verse in, in a sense in that, but it's actually, it's actually my favorite verse in the Bible. And uh, um, that whole passage is so beautiful because of the fact that uh, in the beginning, uh, Lazarus, uh, Jesus gets word that Lazarus, this this, uh, this friend that Jesus loves, is is very sick, and uh, um and it's a it's a couple days journey from where Jesus is at, and Jesus uh, says that he's going to he waits a couple days to travel to Lazarus, and he tells his disciples very clearly uh, before they even get to Bethany, he tells them very clearly that Lazarus is going to die. Um, he knows that before he even gets to Bethany, um, and then he gets to Bethany. And, uh, Martha comes out first and meets Jesus outside of the city. He's not even in the city yet. Martha meets him. And, uh, and she comes up to him and she says, you know, uh, um, if you'd only been here, then my brother would not have died. And, uh, um, and then Jesus has a whole uh, discussion with, with her. Um, and then a little bit later, um, and then a little bit later, uh, uh, Mary comes out and she says the same thing. Uh, Jesus, if you'd only been here, my brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. And the thing is, if, if we're going to be realistic about human behavior and understanding human behavior, um, I think, I think we can be completely honest and say that, uh, when Martha and Mary came out to Jesus, I don't think they were coming out and saying, Oh, man, Jesus, I sure wish you could have been here, but you know, I know you're busy. It's all right though. You know, um, if only you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died, but you know, I get it. It's okay. You know, I, I don't think, honestly, I don't think that's how they approached him. Uh, I think uh, understanding human behavior, they were probably pretty angry. Um, and uh, um, they probably approached him in anger. It was, I, I think that if you read it in context, it was probably more along the lines of an accusation. You know, why weren't you here? Um, and, uh, um, and the way Jesus handles it is not, um, not in anger. He doesn't like smack him upside the head and, you know, or strike him with a proverbial lightning bolt or anything like that. Instead, he, he, he's grieved in his spirit for them. And, uh, um, and again, Jesus knowing that, uh, uh, that Lazarus has died, but he also knows he's going to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. And then you have him standing in front of Lazarus's tomb, knowing that any second now he's going to say the words, Lazarus come forth. But before that happens, he breaks down and weeps. And I think it just shows the, the humanity and the, and the emotional side of God um, that uh, when it says in Hebrews that we have a God who understands our infirmities because he's been through it with us or he's been through it too. I think it really shows that uh, it shows that in that, in that moment that the, and, it, and it's just, to me, it's very moving that, and that was something that, that it, that's helped me also like I said, I was very angry with God, but it it kind of comes down to a point that, look, the unfortunate thing is, is that life and death are a part of humanity and a part of this world, and that, that won't change. Um, but we do have a God who um, who will walk through it with us, and that when we are absolutely broken, like in moments like when we lose our children, we have a God who weeps with us 
and and I think that's important to, to understand. So, um, so yeah, so so that's a little bit of my story. Um, uh, wow, quite a story, quite a journey. The I want to touch upon a couple a couple of things. First off, when you say you were angry at, angry at God, I mean that's that's kind of the, the feeling that I had at the same time when going through the miscarriage because I was I was just lost. Just completely because I was like, okay, God wants us to have, to have children. You know, you did everything in the right power. You don't know what caused it or what the reason was why a miscarriage happens. And it's like, whoa, like I did everything right. What, what did I do wrong? Like, why did this, why did this happen? Yeah. So I found that actually very interesting. The fact that, that, you know, that you mentioned that because right part of, part of the grieving process is anger. Exactly. And to take it out of God, like, I don't know if that was necessarily the right approach. Like I, I, I was just lost in my religion at that point. I'm like, you know, who am I? You know, I'm this religious Jewish guy and this just happened to me. Now I'm, you know, am I religious? Am I not religious? You know, should I, should I do that anymore? I just completely lost my faith and had to rediscover that and have, you know, Except that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, I think, I think we get this idea that, oh, we can't, you know, be mad at God. We're not supposed to be angry at God. But, you know, even, you know, even Old Testament, God, there's so much, uh, emotion that God has. If he really created us in his image, then, then how are we to say we can't be angry? You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I want to take a step back because you went through, you know, a, a bunch of losses. I mean, how is it possible that the doctors, I, I, I completely understand why they would brush you out and say, okay, we have birth coming in because that's a, that's, that's a trigger point for my, you know, myself, whenever, whenever my wife you know, was going to give birth or expecting, I'm, I'm trained as an emergency medical technician. So I'm in and out of the hospitals all the time. But one of the triggers I have is like, there's, an emergency room for women having miscarriage and all of a sudden on the right hand side there's another room for a person giving birth like at the same time like i understand where they're coming from because there's a birth coming and you just suffered a loss like you don't necessarily want to say to that patient coming in that you know you just suffered a loss but i mean there's got to be a balance on in that that you need that space at that time to really rec you know recognize what what happened yeah, yeah, I would agree. You know that the, I, I think that, like, like I said, I, I, I kind of have a better understanding. You know, as far as, and I guess maybe it's me trying to give doctors a little bit of grace, maybe because I'm like, well, you know, the thing is, is that they have to deal with so many different patients, um, and if they have, uh, uh, if they, if they show emotion, if they start crying in in one room, you know how are they going to be able to then compose themselves to go and, and treat the next patient? But, but without a doubt, I think that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think that sometimes in their efforts to be stoic so that they don't like, you know, uh, take that into the next, into the next, uh, um, into the next patient. I think that you're right. There needs to be still some room, some level of humanity shown even by the doctors, I think is helpful sometimes. It would be more helpful. I think we need to retrain the doctors. I mean, a lot of times doctors yeah. don't even really think about what's going on in that patient's head. I mean, talking about advocacy, 
in that room, in that moment, a lot of times they're thinking, how do we treat the patient? But they're not really thinking of how does that person feel about that? Nobody ever asked me, you know, the doctor, when they were dealing with my wife in the miscarriage, they never asked me, how are you feeling? What are you you feeling? But the concern is saving the life of that, you know, of of that patient, which is Mm -hmm. fair. I understand that, you know, dealing with a life threat or women's bleeding, having a miscarriage, I got to take care of that. But at the same time, having that balance of, you know, humility and, and care of not just, let's say that person's life, take care of that issue, but mm-hmm. have a conversation about what's going on. What's the procedure? What, what's the impact that it could have on you? And how do you, how do you deal with it after that? I understand why they'll say, okay, well, that's the job of the psychologist. Or that's the job of the social worker, but even a social worker never really spoke to us as, as, as guys. They just kind of left us hanging. Well, yeah. And that's, and that's a, that's another good point too. Um, especially when it comes to, uh, when it comes to how we're dealing with, with, with men. Um, look, I think that there's supposed to be, uh, um, in some, in some degree in it. And, you know, yeah, guys are, are like, uh, I, I don't know if you'd say designed to be the protector of the family or designed to be, you know, the, and we don't, we're not as emotional as women. And, and there is, there is some truth in that. But I think that, uh, uh, because the woman is the one who carries the child and the woman who's, uh, uh, the one who has more bonded and on a more spiritual and emotional level because she's the one that can feel the baby literally every time it moves. Um, that I think it's easy to, for guys to be overlooked. And I think that, uh, there's just kind of a natural, you know, a natural, uh, I don't know if natural is the right word. I don't think natural is the right word, but uh, basically this assumption that guys can just move things through things faster and that they don't need as much help or any help really. Um, and guys, sometimes we, we don't, I don't know if we don't really know how to talk about it or we just don't really have the opportunity. We just don't, we just don't talk about it as much as we should. But uh, without a doubt, there's a, a, and and I think also part of it is like, you know, for, for like, for me and, and, and maybe, I don't know, for, for others, you know, it's like, well, if I cry or get upset in front of my wife, is that going to make things worse for her? You know, so, you know, you don't want to be that emotional, you know, and to, you want to help her, you know, stuff, if that makes sense. But. Yeah, it, it makes sense. And it's true. It's how we're built as, as men. You know, we're, we're built to be that strong person. We're built to be able to fix it. We're built to, to help. That's how we're built. But at the end of the day, suffering in silence doesn't work because one day you're going to pop. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't work. And, and I, and I think you, I think you hit on something especially important there because you said that, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're built or we're wired to, to fix things. I mean, look, guys, we like to think we can fix stuff. And we like to think, oh, okay, you know, I can fix A, B, or C. And sometimes, you know, like sometimes uh, some men, uh, when they have fights with their wives, uh, the answer is to try and go and fix something, to try and make it better, right? Um, but with miscarriage and stillbirth, there's nothing to fix. And so you feel like you get that lost feeling, like, okay, what am I supposed to do? I can't fix anything. 
I can't fix this. Um, and then that, I think that contributes to that lost feeling too, because we, what can we do? There's not much we can do. No. You know? We can talk about it. We can cry about it. We can, you know, try and whatever hobby you have, try and bring it out within that, whether it's taking a walk, whether it's hiking, whether it's playing music, whether it's going to a, going to a baseball game. I mean, I think ultimately the way men can get over it, I, I maybe over it is, is a harsh term, but deal with it is, is take on that hobby, take on something extra, take on, have an outlet, that resource. So you're not yeah. suffering in silence, you know, go to a bar, have a drink with a friend or just get out there. Yeah. Find somebody to really uh, connect with and talk to. And I, I would say on, on that note, I would say um, two things. First of all, uh, don't expect your wife to deal with grief the same way you do. Um, I've had uh, if, if, more conversations than I like um, about families that have gone through miscarriage or stillbirth and then, and, and then later end in divorce. And um, sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes the, the reason behind it is because of how they deal differently with, with the miscarriage. Um, you know, the, the guy will maybe feel like he gets through it faster and she's still, you know, grieving it and he's upset that you're like, why are you still upset about this? Or sometimes the woman is like, well, why does it seem like he's, he's over it and he's not weeping or grieving like I am. Well, guys do grieve through it. Just not the same way women do. Um, and so sometimes those tensions rise between the husband and the wife. So I think it's important to, uh, to remember that to, and, and not hold it against your spouse if they're not grieving the way you feel like they should. Um, but the other thing too is, and, and, and we just said something about finding someone to talk to and connect with, go, you know, uh, uh, you know, and, and have an activity to go out and, and, and do with, with, with guys and, and to kind of connect with. But I would say this, this is really important too. Look, if you are a friend who has been, or if you're a friend, if you are a friend, sorry, <laughs> let me speak clearly. If you are a friend, of someone who has been through loss, be careful with how you talk. Um, and what I mean by that is this. It's not helpful to the guy or to the girl or to anybody dealing with loss. It's not helpful to them if you say things like, uh, um, well, there was probably something wrong with the baby. I, I, he I heard that a few times. Well, there's probably something wrong with the baby. Well, Thank you, Captain Obvious. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize there was something wrong with the baby. And that's why, you know, this whole time I thought the baby was perfectly healthy. You know, um, if you hadn't pointed that out, I don't know what would, where I would be. Or, you know, or saying things like, well, God needed another angel. Oh, so you're telling me that God decided to kill my baby. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, be careful in what you say and how you approach it. Um, I like to tell people that the best thing you can do is to be going to a biblical reference. Be like Job's friends before they started talking. You know, 
in, in, in the book of Job, he loses everything. His friends show up and for like the first week, they just sat there and they listened to him. That's all they did. They just listened to him, pour out his heart and they didn't say nothing. That was good. Then they started talking and it was a complete train wreck after that. Um, but you know, man, listen, be listeners. That's something that's important for us as guys, even when we're, when we're dealing and helping other people through this loss, just give people the opportunity to talk. Don't, don't speculate on what might have happened. Just listen. You're right on point on that because guys do need to be heard. But yeah. A lot of times I find that people don't know what to say and they oftentimes say the wrong things. Yeah. And there's no guide out there for people to say what to say and what not to say. I mean, I, I think, I think that again, it comes back down to education and people need to be trained and, and saying what can be said, what cannot be said and things that you just brought up absolutely should not be said you know well dad oh i'm so sorry for your loss well obviously you're sorry for the loss like these are the type of things that people don't necessarily want to hear like that's just the common thing i'm sorry for the loss like that's not what the guy necessarily wants to hear god has a plan oh again so we're going back to god killed my baby (laughs) (laughs) oh it wasn't meant to be yeah yeah so what was it supposed to be i'm supposed to just suffer the loss of a child that's what was supposed to be thanks so man you're batting a thousand with your helpful comments (laughs) (laughs) what were the things that you would want to hear from someone going through it um you know i think that some of the things that i would want to hear is like from people that have been through loss uh, and I did hear this uh, from people who've been through loss. It was very helpful uh, when people said, look, I understand what you're going through. I've been there and just say whatever you need to say, you know, and just, and, and they would just listen. Um, you know, I had some friends that, you know, they, they met me for lunch, you know, or met me for coffee. And it was just all about just, you know, I don't have answers for your questions. That's what they would say. I don't, I don't know why this happened, but I understand your heartache. I think that's that's what I like to hear from people who have not been through this kind of a loss. Um, I think I just would I would have wanted to hear, and again, you know, so, and there were there were people that were good at this. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say they were all bad, but you know, um, there were definitely people that were good at just saying, "Look, we love you, um, and we're here for you if you need to just talk it out." Um, it's, and I would want to hear that it's okay to grieve. That it's okay to be angry, that it's okay to, to, to be sad, that it's okay to live the real life emotions that you have. Yeah. Those are really good tips. What would be your, your top tips and advice to guys going through miscarriage and, and stillbirth? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think that some of the top stuff that I would say is number one is it's not your fault. Um, and you got to remember that, uh, that, I mean, it, like I said, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where we, we can't fix it. 
don't try and fix your wife. That's, that's an important thing I would say. Um, I think that's a really good tip. Don't try and fix your wife. Let her go through the grieving process the way she needs to. Um, be real with her. Let her know how you feel. You know, be open with your wife um, about your emotions. Because she needs to know that you hurt too. That, uh, that, that your child's life was important to you too. And so if we, if we play this facade of, I'm going to try and not weep and not be upset around my wife, it puts off the impression that we didn't care. And so you need to be real and honest with your wife about your emotions too. Um, and again, just find someone who will just listen, who, who will, who will weep with you and just let you pour your heart out. All really good pieces of advice. Randy, this was great. I, thanks for coming on the show. And, uh, to all those listeners out there, if you're in, if you're in Idaho and you're going through miscarriage and, and stillbirth and you want to talk, Randy, I'm sure will be more than happy to speak to you. I remember, Absolutely. remember the statistics are one in four pregnancies end in a miscarriage. One in a couple struggle with infertility. One in 160 births end in a stillbirth and one in a thousand babies die every year of SIDS. So you're, you're not alone. And it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to cry. It's okay. It's okay to grieve through the process. The guy to your left, the guy to your right could have gone through it. So please yeah. don't, don't hesitate to reach out to someone to talk about it because the person sitting right next to you may very well have gone through it and will understand your emotions. Yeah. And, and can I just add that exactly what you said? Look, sometimes we don't want to talk because we don't, we feel alone. We feel like, you know, who else can, who else can understand? But you're exactly right. By opening up and saying something, we may find other people that are hurting too and people we can talk with, you know? Um, and, and I'll just put this out there too that if you want, uh, you can put your, you can put my contact info on, on any of your stuff. I'll, I'll gladly talk to anybody that's going through this. Awesome. Thank you so much, Randy. Thank you. You've just listened to another great episode of Men Talk with Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth, or infant loss and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.